Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Roberto Mazza, and for the Middle Eastern Studies series, my guest today is Professor Hans-Lukas Kieser. He recently published When Democracy Died, The Middle East Enduring Peace of Lausanne, published by Cambridge University Press in 2023. The Treaty of Lausanne signed in Switzerland just a little over than 100 years ago, in July 1923, officially settled the conflict between the Ottoman Empire and the Allied forces. Not only did the treaty establish the borders of the modern Turkish Republic, but it also defined boundaries, political systems, and understandings of citizenship in the newly formed post-Ottoman nation-states. Here, the author recounts how the eight dramatic months of the Lausanne Conference concluded more than 10 years of war and genocide in the late Ottoman Empire. Crucially, the treaty was in favor of a homogeneous Turkish state in Asia Minor and became the basis of a compulsory unmixing of people that eventually facilitated the persecution of minority groups, including Armenians, Kurds and Arabs. Not only did this significant, yet often overlooked treaty, mark the end of a League of Nations project of self-determination and security for small people, but it was crucial in shaping the modern Middle East and dictatorships in Turkey and Europe. But before we delve into all of this, first of all, Lucas, welcome. Yeah, hello. Hello, Roberto. So, just to start our conversation, can you tell us something about yourself and the origins of the book? Yeah, I'm a historian um, uh, from Switzerland, now uh, working uh, in Australia at the University of Newcastle at the Centre for the Study of Violence. And the origins of this book on the Lausanne Conference go back to two research projects I had at the University of Zurich more than 20 years ago. One was on the Ottoman and Turkish diaspora in Switzerland uh, that included research in archives in Lausanne. The other was an international research project project, uh, that reflected on the common historical space, as we termed it then, of the Armenian Genocide and the Shoah, with scholars like uh, Gerlach, Zürcher, Sunior, Bloxham also, Levin, Gevorkian, Bozarslan, Tanrakjam. And in both uh, projects, the Lausanne Conference popped up as a a pivotal moment and a seminal reference 
uh, beyond even that uh, period. And I wrote then already an article in French on the Lausanne Conference for a historical journal in Lausanne, but it took me two decades uh, more to come back now uh, to the topic uh, in a more comprehensive way and after other research, because uh, this book, When Democracy Died, is, is, is a sequel to my biography of Talat Pasha. Uh, that I regard the predecessor of uh, Kemal Ataturk. Uh, and Talat uh, was an imperial Turkish nationalist who prepared, prepared the ground for the Turkish uh, nation state uh, in Anatolia as it eventually emerged from Lausanne. I will certainly uh, write down in the uh, podcast notes the reference to your previous book, Talat Pasha, uh, that helped me personally to better understand uh, the uh, last uh, few years of Ottoman rule, and particularly to get more details about uh, the so-called triumvirate. You know, I personally study more Jamal Pasha, uh, and then I realized that you really, and I really needed to get a sense of all of the other figures, and certainly your work on Talat was uh, uh, very important. It's a seminal work about this figure. But let's go back to the book. So the book is divided into four parts, and in a little over 30 short chapters, could you speak about the goals of your work and also where it is situated in the historiography of Lausanne? And lastly, about the sources that you have used. Yes, uh, the, <clears throat> 10, 20 years ago, the Lausanne Conference was uh, still largely under-researched. Also, the Lausanne Treaty is still valid with its defining impact on Turkey and the Middle East. I wanted to delve into the prehistory and context as well as the dynamics and arguments at the conference itself. Uh, and so that's my, my was my motivation uh, to write a more thorough history of the Lausanne conference because I knew how seminal uh, this conference was and how defining. And in contrast to other books on Lausanne, including uh, the recent ones of my academic friends Michel Jusan and Jay Winter. More than a third of my book, as you have seen, is on the conference itself, on its sessions, players, on its arguments, dynamics, plots, and also the mental maps. As for sources, in addition to Swiss, French, and British uh, documents, I have used many Turkish sources, including diplomatic documents, ego documents, newspapers, and also, importantly, a book manuscript finalized in Lausanne by Reza Nour. What is not obvious at all, uh, last not least, I have studied the complete conference minutes that are difficult of access. I had to go to Paris-la-Courneuve. Many researchers only use the abbreviated printed British volume on the first half of the conference. Another distinctive feature of When Democracy Died is that it elaborates on the close synergy between diplomatic success in Lausanne and the making of the Kemalist dictatorship. 
Finally, the overall difference to many traditional accounts of Lausanne is certainly that my book trims the usual diplomatic success story. And with this, it fundamentally questions the course of the conference itself. And this concerns not only the population exchange that's done by many for the past two, three decades, uh, but really the conference itself. The simple, most questionable point in, in Lausanne, at the conference of Lausanne, is the success of factors such as force, violence, demographic majority, uh, and similar uh, factors at the cost of basic law, of civil liberties, and of human dignity. And this outcome gave a seemingly legitimate space on a diplomatic, international diplomatic level to ultranationalism, fascism, and all related domestic policies of coercion and repression. In other words, Lausanne abandoned the weaker parts and smaller peoples. It gave up on more appropriate and more differentiated solutions for, for, solutions for a future in uh, real peace on the ground. And in the long term, I uh, consider that this became very costly in the Middle East. Many of the listeners may be familiar with Lausanne that occurred in 1923, so it's uh, literally 100 years old. But I would like to ask you to talk about the context that led to this historical treaty so that listeners can get a sense of uh, why we get to Lausanne in 1923. Yes, as we have uh, perhaps first to say that this is the last treaty of a series of post-Great uh, War or World War I treaties. All the others uh, concluded in Paris, uh, starting with, with the Versailles Treaty. And importantly to, to say that at the beginning of all other treaties, there is the covenant of the League of Nations. So, so we can call this the uh, Paris-Geneva uh, treaty uh, peace uh, and treaty system. Now con uh, Lausanne has come later, I will uh, say why, uh, and it's the last one, but without the covenant of the League of Nations at its uh, beginning. The short version of the immediate prehistory is very well known. After World War I, the Greek army lost the war against Turkish nationalists in Western Anatolia. And this military situation enforced the revision of the Western plans for Asia Minor as set out in Paris or in the Paris-Geneva peace by the victors of the Great War. The Greek army had provided for them the boots on the ground to enforce the Paris-Sèvres uh, Treaty in the case of the uh, Ottoman Empire that was concluded in Paris-Sèvres, so next to Paris. On the one hand, this uh, unfortunate uh, Treaty of Paris-Sèvres had had to satisfy the wishes of the European victors, so imperialist wishes. So there was an imperialist bias. On the other hand, it had sought to restore a plural Anatolia with rule of law, with self-determination, not only for Turks, but also the non-Turkish natives, such as Armenians, Kurds, and Anatolian Greeks, or Rum, as they are called. 
they lived for millennia in Anatolia. And this positive side of, of the unfortunate treaty followed the principles of the first League of Nations, whose covenant was, of, as I said, figured at the beginning of that treaty also. Now, the longer version of the prehistory, which is very important in my eyes, and that that lacks um, mostly in the in the in the in the in the incomplete uh, traditional uh, presentation presenta presentations of the Lausanne Conference, is that we uh, must uh, yeah we must emphasize important aspects of 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 a longer uh, version of the prehistories intact forces of the former imperial young turk regime regrouped in ankara so we have a, in in terms of persons a quite identical uh, team uh, except the, the the highest uh, bosses like uh, like uh, talat cemal uh, and enver so what you called the triumvirate they were uh, away uh, they had fled but the others regrouped in ankara they formed uh, their the so-called National Assembly and the National Assembly government. And they formed also a critical alliance with the Bolsheviks. All uh, this happened uh, during already and uh, for uh, winning a bloody civil war in Anatolia, in which the non-Turkish minorities who hope, had hoped for a protected self-determination were crushed by these, these uh, superior uh, forces that uh, hailed from the imperial states. And hundreds of thousands of civilians, most of them Rum, Armenians and Alevi Kurds, perished. Many of them, notably the Pontus Greek or Pontus Rum, were exterminated in the way of the 1915 genocide of the Armenians. So that's all part of the longer version of this so-called uh, War of Independence after the Great War in Anatolia. Importantly, uh, therefore, the longer version of Lausanne's prehistory includes also Talat Pasha's genocidal politics of Islamization and Turkification during World War One. After all, the Lausanne Conference was supposed to bring peace after a decade of war and diplomatic breakdown in the Levant. So it was not just about, uh, let's say, the so-called Greco-Turkish War or World War One. It was about the whole uh, decade and uh, what happened uh, in war and also as uh, the domestic uh, the domestic violence and and, and, and and crimes against humanity. But in the reality in Lausanne, uh, if we study this conference, we see that to facilitate diplomatic success that everyone wanted, the conference did not recollect and clarify the darkest sides of World War One. It tacitly repealed the relevant uh, provisions of the Sèvres Treaty. 
So that's, uh, uh, of course, uh, only uh, a, a kind of a summary of, of what we have to say on the context and the prehistory. But important to see the whole decade uh, behind uh, Lausanne, uh, and of which only uh, selectively uh, the past was addressed during the conference. Now, now the decade before Lausanne was uh, marked by violence in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, we can even almost say almost two decades from the very beginning of the 20th century. Essentially, the Ottoman Empire is either under attack by European powers. Uh, obviously, we have uh, the Balkan Wars, the occupation of Libya, World War One. And I found it interesting that you argue that Lausanne normalized mass violence. Mass violence has that have been basically occurring for more than a decade now. And so I was wondering so was if you can speak about this process, perhaps in relation to the fact that uh, you're discussing violence at the very moment uh, in time where these people are essentially trying to make peace. And so one wonder, what did peace mean in the historical context of the early 1920s? Mm -hmm. Yeah, also the, let's say, the decade before 1912 or 1911, at least, uh, was comparatively uh, peaceful. Uh, there had been the mass violence, the domestic mass violence against the Armenians in the, 19, in the 1890s and also the Greek uh, Ottoman war. Uh, but then there was comparative, uh, comparatively peaceful, were comparatively peaceful years until uh, Italian invasion of Libya and of course the Balkan wars. So uh, it's then about, so that's really the decade of, 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 of mass war and mass violence, starting with the Balkan Wars in, in, in uh, uh, autumn to 1912. Uh, what I insist on in the book and, and what responds to the question on, on violence, on normalizing violence is that Lausanne diplomatically endorsed the results of genocidal policies, uh, tacitly, partly, even explicitly, and this endorsement was tantamount to normalizing these kind of policies in the eyes of the contemporaries, and especially in the eyes of the nationalists in continental Europe. And this was even more so the case as uh, the compulsory population exchange officially finalized what the Young Turk policy of ethnic cleansing and genocide under Talat Bey at that time, later the Talat Pasha, uh, had initiated at the eve already of World War One. That is, just after the Balkan Wars and before uh, the July, uh, the crisis in Europe uh, uh, at the eve of the uh, First World War that started in August 1914. Uh, so with this official population exchange, which is, uh, is uh, concluded in the very first convention of the Lausanne Conference in January already, January 1923, uh, 
this endorsement of these highly, extremely violent changes uh, is uh, very openly declared. Uh, so to say we have given up, of course, uh, because of the of the facts on the grounds, because of of a military reality, we have given up on the uh, on the restoration of a plural on, and the future of, of a plural uh, Anatolia, and we resign to the realities as they are. So so it's 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 not to say that there were uh, quite compel uh, quite compelling reasons to to do this like this, and it is only now to save as many lives as possible that these to bring these peoples that the Kemalists also in, 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 the, in the logic of, of, of this uh, dechristianization uh, of Anatolia uh, continued to, to, to send away, expel or kill uh, these Anatolian Christians, at least uh, uh, have for them a place, uh, organize uh, their transfer and uh, uh, have this, thanks to the population exchange, some places in northern Greece were to settle them down because there uh, a few hundred thousands of, of Greek-speaking Muslims were then sent uh, in this, uh, according to this convention, uh, to Anatolia. So, but nevertheless, looking at the whole picture, this was finishing the job of uh, so-called unmixing religious groups or ethno-religious groups. So that was a very strong and very brutal lesson for the whole world. Peace, according to the League of Nations, would of course have meant something different. It would have meant self-determination, it would have meant rule by consent, it would have meant, meant democratic measures and steps and, and pragmatism, it would have meant protection of weaker groups and peoples, uh, the small peoples as they were called and called themselves also, like the Armenians, Kurds, Assyrians. And it would have meant the prosecution of war crimes, as the Allies had uh, had very uh, clearly uh, publicly declared in May 1915. And it would have meant repair and restitution. So all this uh, was given up. The Lausanne uh, Conference thus endorsed more or less tacitly mass violence, and it explicitly endorsed the beneficiaries of mass violence without in any way further challenging them. Therefore, in Lausanne, peace meant, again, if we look at the whole process, meant striking a deal among potentates, among those in power at that time. That might be normal, but these were quite uh, extreme times. Lausanne buried the claim of law-based peace and the reconciliation of peoples and societies that, of course, is required, required for real peace that should last and that should not be a prolonged crisis uh, with, again and again, mass um, uh, violence. Lausanne therefore dealt a final death blow to the political project of the League of Nations. 
and the inherent project of, of a democratization of law-based international order, etc. This so-called realpolitik, as, as, as that became quite an important word in, 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 uh, in Germany also, this uh, realpolitik soon proved costly in Europe itself, where the forces of fascism and ultranationalism could not longer be domesticated 10 years later. Uh, so uh, the idea was that if one would to a certain uh, degree uh, agree and, and domesticate these uh, kind of forces, then one could uh, go together in a, in, a, in a more or less measured future. That did not work uh, in Europe. It worked to a certain extent, of course, with Turkey, because Turkey had his, its face or her face of extreme violence be already be kind, behind herself. Also, her dreams of expansion, of pan-Turkic expansion, etc. Whereas in the kind of the European fascism and ultranationalism, this came then only uh, afterwards. So there are, there are of course, not uh, entirely parallel uh, movements. On the, on the contrary, so we have a kind of an anticipation in, 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 in the case of, of Ottoman and, and early post-Ottoman Turkey. You talk about Armenia extensively throughout the book. And I would like to ask about your point that violence won and democracy died. You partially answered this question before, but uh, I, I just want to focus on this concept that violence eventually won over the fact that democracy, in your view, died. Mm -hmm. Yeah, first uh, a few words on the Armenians. Uh, the Armenians are the most prominent group of victims in that period, also of World War I, but also of the Lausanne Treaty we will, um, and, and the Lausanne Conference. We will come back also the, on that point. Not only because of the genocide and the abandonment of the Armenians in the Lausanne Treaty, that made impossible the return of Armenian survivors, the restitution of stolen property, the prosecution of genos genocidaires, but also uh, the Armenians were those Ottomans most involved in and concerned by the efforts for reform and democratization in the late Ottoman era. Notably, as already uh, during the Tanzimat in the 19th century, then also during, before and during the 1908 Young Turk Constitutional Revolution, and then particularly uh, for the early 19, for February 1914 reform plan for the uh, eastern half of, uh, of Asia Minor, and then again uh, in the early concepts uh, for, the, for the Near East by the League of Nations. So, yeah, so it's, it makes very much sense to, 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 to pay uh, due attention to the Armenians in a book that uh, is on uh, violence and democracy uh, prominently. Many observers saw Lausanne as proof that pluralist democracy had once and for all failed. 
Whereas the coercion, violence, autocracy, and unitary ethnic nationalism were on the winning side. So we have a very prominent example that is uh, Karl Schmidt, uh, who later became the star uh, lore and intellectual, uh, star lore and intellectual of the Nazis. And by mid 1920s, Carl Schmidt took explicitly Lausanne-born Turkey as role model for, and I quote him, the reckless, but in his eyes uh, very uh, laudable, reckless uh, national, nationalization of a whole country, and also for what he then regarded. Uh, what should was a democracy that is in his eyes a leader-led mass democracy of course that has nothing to do with the understanding of democracy in my book and i would say of democracy by uh, people who understand what what is democracy so let me ask about ideologies can you tell us more about uh, some of the ideologies involved in the making of Lausanne? And perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about Turanianism, which is probably less known to those who don't know much about uh, uh, Turkish history, for instance. And also maybe our how various ideologies, including uh, fascism and communism, uh, intersect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's of course a good a good question. So the intersection of of these of what I call the intersection of left wing and right wing uh, revolutionism uh, uh, that uh, claims uh, by the that claims the the notion of democracy, but in fact is 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 agents they are agencies of of anti-democracy and of extreme violence but let's first look at the westerners in in lausanne uh, first of all these were the aging national empires of france and great britain uh, their liberal democracies maintained in their home countries basic rule of law and civil liberties but not of course in their colonies and mandates what changed for them with Lausanne was that they adopted an openly social Darwinist understanding of realpolitik also in greater Europe. Europe, of, of course, was in a deep crisis after the First World War, partly in ruins. On the diplomatic level, they embraced Mussolini's new fascism. Mussolini had come to, to Lausanne. He was a star of the media there. He had just, just a few weeks earlier had, was the march on Rome and, and he, had, he had become the prime minister and, and also at the same time the, the foreign minister. So in Lausanne, these Westerners embraced Mussolini at the same time that they embraced Ankara's seasoned ultranationalism. Much less, but a little bit also, they 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 and they recognized more than before the Soviet Union that was present also with the delegation, but it was above all. Uh, to distance uh, the right-wing, right-wing, uh, new right-wing governments from uh, 
the influence of Moscow. So at the same time that they started this new flirt with, uh, yeah, with right-wing revolutionists, they tacitly let down the small and weak, to which uh, was given quite, uh, were given quite important promises that that was even let's say the most important ideological motivation uh, by Westerners for, for the Great War, that they would protect and liberate the small peoples, so both in Eastern Europe and, and in the Middle East. So in other words, or, or, or put shortly, liberalism started to politically flirt with fascism absolutely visibly and ostentatiously in Lausanne. Now, uh, to analyze the political thought on the Turkish side, in this book I have used among various sources one key source that I already shortly mentioned, the book manuscript History of the Armenians, as it is titled, written by Rza Nur. Nur was a co-founder, minister, and senior diplomat of Ankara's National Assembly government, and he was the vice chief or vice plenipotentiary of Ankara's delegation in Lausanne. And he finalized this manuscript. Uh, he, he, he was a quite productive um, writer already during the decade before, and in which he had anyway started to write this manuscript on the Armenians. He's, he's, he finalized it uh, during the conference, assisted as he was by a secretary of the delegation. And Nur was by no means uh, marginal at the time. On the contrary, he was influential and representative for a large group of hardliners. Noor's 500-page manuscript is an extremely eye-opening uh, uh, read. This is an extremely racist and social Darwinist text. I, 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 I never, uh, in fact, uh, had, had had to do with such. Uh, I, I say it's, it's 500 pages and such racist to such an extent that, that I, as an historian, professional historian, was uh, quite uh, struck. This uh, book manuscript insists, it was never published, insists on the racial, biological, cultural, and political inferiority of Armenians and Jews, the peoples Noor despises most, and it completely trivializes and normalizes mass violence against them. In this, and also in other writings, Noor claims the racial superiority, and now we come to Turanianism, the racial superiority of the so-called Turanians. That is uh, uh, the race from which Turks are supposedly descended. And he also claims Turkish autochthony in and beyond Anatolia, this, uh, saying that Armenians, Rum, etc., Syrians, and so on, they just were invaders. The, the argument of Turanian descent of uh, Turks played an important role at the Lausanne moment, as, as we also call it. That is, both at the conference, 
and and all uh, uh, also at, at the conference itself uh, one can read it in in the minutes even uh, in, in 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 talks uh, around the conference and especially in 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 a Kemalist in in a early Kemalist Turkey that was uh, very strongly absorbed by what happened in Lausanne. So Lausanne was the topic uh, in, 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 uh, in, in Turkey from uh, autumn 1922 to summer 1923. So we find also Turan and Turanism, the Turanism argument in the public speeches of uh, Mustafa, Ghazi Mustafa Kemal, the later Atatürk especially in speeches in nine, early 1923. Uh, Turanism, but as I said, it's not only his, uh, one of the most important mentors and spiritual fathers um, of this kind of thinking in that time is Siagakalp. Uh, on which I had um, uh, written in, 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 the, in the Talat book quite a lot and also in, in a separate article. So this Turanism as worded by Rosanur in the manuscript he finalized during the conference reads like a blueprint for the Aryanism of the Nazis. Kemal Atatürk's history thesis of the 1930s appropriated Noor's travesty in its main lines, that is, the claim on whole of Anatolia based on the racial claim that there had always lived Turks or proto-Turks. So what changed in, uh, in Atatürk's uh, uh, history thesis or the so-called Turkish history thesis is that the term Turanians was replaced with proto-Turks. Yeah, there could uh, a lot be said more, but uh, perhaps so much for the moment. Yeah, I, I think this was great just to give a sense uh, to the listeners about this ideology that, as I said, uh, might be not as familiar as others. Now, I, I want to talk briefly about the structure of Lausanne. You noted that Lausanne has reshaped diplomacy for a whole generation of young diplomats young and officials. officials. And so I was wondering if you can give us a sense of the conference itself how it was organized, how it worked, and how communications were arranged. Yeah, yeah, so Lausanne was formative, especially in that the first place for a whole generation of Ankara's diplomats and officials. So it is key to understand the, need, the elite of New Turkey as the self-proclaimed New Turkey. Lausanne taught them how to best maneuver between the West, Russia and also Islam. And it made them rediscover and exploit the strategic advantages of Asia Minor, including the Straits, of course, so that uh, that connect the, the Black Sea and, and the Aegean. So it, it's, it's very important now during the Ukraine war, for example example again. And it uh, taught them how to, to take st uh, stock also of the West's weaknesses and especially of the West's rising dependency on oil and other commodities. They saw the weakness of a Europe in deep crisis 
and also an isolationist USA under President President Harding, and what were the real uh, uh, the real priorities of these countries uh, with uh, yeah in, 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 when when they were uh, quite at the limit of their forces uh, with the crisis and, and and all the all the damage done by the by the Great War before. Uh, Rein, uh, simply from the from the organization in Lausanne, Ankara's de delegation was disadvantaged because the Allies, especially uh, the, Brit the British and Lord Curzon at the beginning, determined the conference agenda and presided the, the important sessions. But basic other advantages were on the side of uh, Ankara. Uh, so the Ankara delegation soon discovered that the war, worn allies were very eager to settle differences and were ready to abandon former principles if their own national national interest was not directly concerned. So they learned to simply sit out hot discussions. Notably on, on minority rights or the question of an Armenian home. And this was the case, was uh, Ankara's number one issue. As the number one issue as uh, listed on, on an in, list on, on, a, on, a, on a paper the, uh, with instructions for the delegation. So the number one uh, instruction was. Uh, on the Armenian home, on the question of an Armenian home, that that was still still a, a hot topic because the League of Nations wanted this, because also several treaty had planned uh, such a home where the survivors of genocide could return uh, to Eastern Anatolia. Uh, so number one issue was to totally uh, discard even any discussion of this uh, topic. And they succeeded in early January, January 1923. And by then, Ankara's diplomacy had learned the lesson for the future. The West would never seriously care about minorities, human rights, and democracy in Anatolia. But they would focus on striking deals, on uh, mandates as quiet as possible, and on, uh, last not least, distancing Ankara from Moscow. That is, they would uh, focus on their own anxieties, and that it was very important to always clearly see what were their anxieties in order not to let take other issues like minorities, Kurds or Armenians, etc., take an important place in negotiations. Now uh, again to the to the to the to the situation in Lausanne. 
Uh, on the Turkish side, there was a core team of about uh, 40 delegates, uh, secretaries, advisors, military officers, and also journalists. So uh, it was very important uh, what spread from the conference then uh, uh, also to, to Turkey. As I said, this was the important process of formation of, 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 of a Kemalist regime. Uh, so so the, 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 the flow of, of, of information was extremely important. The discussions among in this team went often on day and night. So, so a very formative, uh, uh, very formative, uh, uh, let's say, uh, sociability and uh, discussions uh, lasting over several months, often very emotionally. More the more moderate nationalists like Javid Bey or Nyad Belga or Narum Chaim lost clearly out during these discussions, and these uh, the persons uh, were soon excluded from the delegation uh, by the end of January 1923. Ankara's delegation in Lausanne benefited also from local Turkish clubs and lobbying organization that were established from the early 1910s, especially after nine, nine, uh, 1918. That's a topic I had uh, studied 25 years ago already. And they benefited also from a few Swiss sympathizers, mostly officers, businessmen, who were very eager to, to do business again uh, in, in Kemalist Anatolia, and also a, a couple of academics. Many of them sympathized also with uh, Mussolini, uh, who was a very well-known figure at Lake Geneva, because he had also uh, uh, studied uh, for a certain time in Lausanne, and he had been uh, uh, also a quite uh, notorious uh, uh, mili socialist militant there. A few of these sympathizers, with sympathizers, like the then prominent colonel Arthur Fonjala, frequently met with Ismet, Rezanur and Mussolini during the conference. A few years later, Fonjala became Switzerland's most notorious Nazi. I, I want to move forward and talk about uh, some of the topics. So Armenia, the Assyrians, Mosul, population exchange seem to have been the main topics of the conference, at least at the beginning. There were also references made to the Jews. Oops. Could you tell Could us you tell more us? about uh, the arguments made and also the people involved in the various debates? Yeah, let's start with uh, Jews. For Ankara's delegation, the small uh, Jewish minority uh, in, in Turkey served as a showcase in Lausanne. It was, and by the way, then for decades to come as well. It was used as an argument in blaming the other minorities for all what had gone wrong, including the mass killing of Armenians in the late Ottoman Empires. Uh, and in this logic that they established in their discourse, the victim was to blame because those who behaved well and who collaborated with the state, like the Jews, were not harmed. On the contrary, they thrived, and that's how the argument went in Lausanne 
and, as I said, for decades to come. For decades to come, always when it was about uh, denial of the Armenian genocide. Now, back to Lausanne for this propaganda purpose. Uh, Soiree was organized. Also, um, it's of course not only that Soiree was organized, but what I said, that is something you can read in the minutes of the conference. So, at the negotiation table, this, this argument was, was proffered. But besides the conference, the official conference, there were a lot of activities that were important also. And for example, a soiree that was organized with a Jewish Friendship Association in Geneva in late 1922. I think that was an ad hoc association put up for this purpose. And this event and the speeches were, of course, largely covered by the press. And uh, according to, to what I could read on that, uh, they were very uh, satisfied, so the Turkish delegates, by the results of this conference and, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, also the media, media coverage, including also in, uh, in, in European and Swiss papers. This, in other words, the Jews served to counter any claim of other non-Muslim minorities like the Armenians, Rom, and the Assyrians. It bolstered the bold argument that everything was okay in Turkey with regard to minority rights. Now, as for Mosul and the Kurds, that is a Muslim minority, uh, they were not accepted as minorities in in no way. So, so there is a there is a is a strange success by the by the Turkish delegation to limit and reduce and cut the notion of minorities uh, to 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 an understanding that was the understanding of millet during the Ottoman Empire. That is that only they were to be regarded as uh, as as not only the non-Muslims were could be. Um, if, if really it must be, and, and the, the, the West allies insisted, of course, according to the League of Nations uh, and, and the minority protection system, etc. Now, when it came to the, to the, to the, to the, to the Muslims, and, and, and now in the case of Mosul and the Kurds, Ismet Pasha, who was the chief or plenipotentiary of the delegation, claimed now listen, the Turanian origin of the Kurds, and also a harmonious Muslim brotherhood with them uh, in past and present. And Ismet's conclusion during a long speech uh, in a session uh, of, in an early session of the conference, Mosul, Mosul therefore belonged to Turkey. However, uh, as we all know, uh, on Mosul, Ankara must finally concede because this was a core British interest. I'm curious about the role of Mustafa Kemal. He's not really the main character of Lausanne and certainly of your book, but Mustafa Kemal is important. And you make a very interesting point about history connected to the famous Nutuk, this very long speech that essentially uh, talks about the history of Turkey. Yeah, yeah, as a Lausanne is, is, is so crucial and central for, for, uh, for Ghazi Mustafa Kemal, 
I just remind us all that Ghazi was then his title. So, so the the Muslim, the hero of the of the of the jihad, and the Ghazi, so the Muslim war. Uh, he was very clearly already the leading figure after the victory in the Anatolia wars. That is these wars after after the Great War, uh, but. He was still challenged by others, by fellow generals, by strong figures like Rizanur and Ali Shukru. So all these months of the of the Lausanne conference were, as I uh, now already uh, in, have several times insisted, also a time in which he wanted to establish himself once and for all. Uh, he made, therefore, Ismet Pasha, so his foreign minister, uh, just at the eve of the conference and, and the, the chief of the delegation, and he uh, communicated with him by telegram directly uh, during the whole conference that is over the heads of the cabinet of the National Assembly government and over the head of the Prime Minister, which was uh, Ralph Bay, which of course led to, to frustrations, to, to tensions, and and so that was a very uh, that were very tense uh, time, especially in spring 1923, uh, with several political murders also, and then with really the start, one can say, of of the making of the dictatorship. Uh, and, and first, the very first uh, also general elections in June uh, were organized in, in, a, in a climate of repression, if not uh, terror. Uh, success in Lausanne, in other words, was key for Ghazi Kemal's rise to dictatorship, because success in Lausanne meant recognition by the West. And it meant a, a huge prestige at the same time. So one was a political actor recognized by, by, the, by the great powers that gave, of course, a totally new uh, stance and stand, standing uh, in, 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 political, in the political landscape. And uh, yeah, so these for Lausanne, this uh, moment of, of, of eight months was key for the rise of his dictatorship. It took, uh, of course, two years more to fully establish it then, but already we see it from, from uh, uh, spring 1923. Elimination of dissent, of dissenters, and the, and and and, and uh, the, the clear, uh, uh, let's say, steps toward a leader-led authoritarian uh, state takes then place. In his speeches uh, of 1923, so he made a tour in the country, uh, starting in in January 1923. Uh, he always referred to Lausanne. Uh, and he referred to Lausanne also in his important inauguration uh, uh, speech when the assembly, now after the first general election, uh, uh, reassembled uh, in, in August 1923. And then, as you said, in the Nutuk also, which is his longest and most important uh, speech. 
always Lausanne has takes a, a central place is 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 referred to many times takes nearly eschatological dimensions so that after centuries of alienation under the under the Ottomans and 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 uh, by, uh, by uh, <coughs> also alienations through the plots by by foreign agents etc of the West Christianity uh, imperialists etc Turkey now had reached its achievement as a nation state in Anatolia and within international diplomacy. So then he sometimes also even went back millennia saying that after millennia of Turkish history, uh, because he used at times also the Turanian argument then already explicitly, the term also. So, so in, in a way he seemed to believe that really uh, Turks lived, uh, which is totally uh, unhistorical, in, in Anatolia for, for millennia. Uh, so saying that now this Turkish, uh, uh, this Turkish nation had reached its goal, that is the full sovereignty, the full recognition, the full control of uh, the homeland, of the, of the motherland, Anatolia, uh, after millennia. So the culmination of of the Turkey of of of, of Turkish history. The, the revelation, apocalypse, so to say, of Turkish history, uh, uh, thanks to both the, the victory in the Anatolia Wars and then the triumph in the diplomatic triumph in Lausanne. I have uh, just a few more questions, but they're all connected to uh, part four of the book, which is uh, the last part of your work. And I want to start talking about uh, the question of uh, authoritarianism and dictatorship. While reading the book, I started wondering if Lausanne made possible the development of fascist regimes, like the one, for instance, by Kemal Ataturk, or Lausanne was eventually an expression of those emerging regimes. Yeah, as a, in in my view of uh, of later Ottoman history uh, and how I wrote this uh, already in the Tala biography and also in a longer article on Siak Kalp, I regard already the regime of the Young Turks, so this single party uh, state, as a, as a proto-fascism. Uh, so Lausanne was certainly not now the very beginning, but Lausanne facilitated the emergent and the emergence and, and the further development of fascist and revisionist regime regimes also uh, as opposed the continuation in Turkey and the new emergence uh, in continental uh, Europe uh, even beyond. Uh, and the important point is that Lausanne endorsed exactly the proto-fascism I just mentioned. It did not repair the proto-fascist course taken by the Young Turks from 1913. Quite the contrary, 
It confirmed it, as I said several times, including the policies, the extremely violent uh, population policies. It, and it thus established it as a model of modern success in the eyes of contemporaries, Carl Schmitt and many others. As you know, Westerners also spoke for decades positively about the developmental, the so-called developmental or educational dictatorship by the Kemalists. And certainly we should not, uh, uh, we should not uh, disregard some positive aspects of uh, Kemalism afterwards. So, but our uh, discussion now um, here uh, is on the Lausanne conference and on its uh, on its uh, impact uh, with regard to fascism generally. And here, as I, uh, I yeah, I, I want to repeat, it facilitated and it catalyzed uh, the emergence and further development of fascism and revisionism. Uh, besides uh, partisan uh, Islamists and, and marginal minoritarian and humanitarian critique, you know probably that a more fundamental uh, academic critique in the West came up only for the last 20 years or so regarding the Lausanne Conference. So one, one never really fundamentally uh, started to question that moment in history uh, in, its, uh, in its meaning and in its impact as, as we are discussing it now also with regard to, to fascism and, and Nazism. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, but we will probably come back now to, to Nazism also. Yeah, I, I really <laughs> wanted to come back to Nazi Germany because you make several links between Lausanne and the Nazi party throughout the book, but particularly towards the end. So I, I'm curious about uh, this connection between Lausanne and Nazi Germany. Yeah, also I, I can add to what I already said. Uh, uh, notably with regard to, to, to Karl Schmidt, uh, or also with regard to Arianism. Uh, Turkey's road to and it, her triumph at Lausanne was central for the early Nazis. So this was a positive role model. The Bolsheviks were a negative, uh, in contrast, a negative uh, role model in a way. And the central elements include Ankara's uh, successful counter-government, its successful war against non-Turkish claims in Anatolia, and its successful rejection of the Paris-Geneva peace. And of course, how it uh, was able to enforce treaty revision. Uh, revisionism was an absolutely crucial uh, uh, element in, in Hitler's rhetoric and that it was able to enforce revision after creating military facts on the ground. Like the nationalists in Ankara, the early Nazis first wanted to proclaim a counter-government in Munich and establish from there, from Munich, their rule over Germany. But as you know, as we all know, the Munich Putsch or the Bierhalle Putsch 
failed in November 1923. This putsch had been directly inspired by Ankara's diplomatic triumph in Lausanne and by its uh, proclamation of the Republic in the same year. The Nazis continued to admire post-Lausanne New Turkey, its dictatorial impressive leadership, its ultranationalism, so they of course liked the radical nationalism and, and even if it was brutal, and they explicitly appreciated anti-minoritarian uh, policies. However, their road to power after the failed Munich Putsch was via electoral party politics. So they had then to take another road to come to power and could not do it via a counter-government. From 1933, they then uh, started to force facts on the ground. So that was uh, uh, again more uh, uh, according to the to the model and to build up military power. Uh, and and then uh, you know there is then a, 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 a continuous ongoing process of revisionism during the 1930s, revisionism with regard to the Versailles Treaty. In 1939, the Nazis allied with Stalin, and together they denigrated Poland as a bastard of the Versailles Treaty, just as in 1920, Ankara and the Bolsheviks had despised Armenia as a weak creature of the League of Nations. And they had then uh, had uh, divided the source uh, Caucasus between them, just as they did 19 years later with Poland. In Lausanne, the Turkish rulers could get away without any accountability for the murder of the Armenians. So they were recognized. So they were recognized with their achievements in the quotation marks. They built an ethnically cleansed by 1930 totalitarian society. So Shukri Haniol uses the notion, is a Turkish historian of uh, Kemalist totalitarianism. And this course of the former ally during World War One, who also wanted to be a totally sovereign nations, a nation state and who had a radical form, uh, as, uh, adopted the radical form of nationalism, this course of uh, post-Ottoman Turkey deeply impressed the Nazis and it influenced their vision of new Germany. Here the studies of Stefanie Rigar are very uh, eye-opening. This Turkish course was a clear incentive for the discriminatory and exterminatory way leading to the Holocaust. Can you tell us more about the legacy of Lausanne? In other words, I'm curious about how is Lausanne perceived today in Turkey and both countries affected by the treaty itself? Yeah, so the legacy is manifold and it concerns many peoples or let's say also the Muslims as a whole, uh, especially those, the cons conservative Muslims who, who, who uh, could not accept the loss of the caliphate. 
a loss that is directly linked then to the establishment of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, in the 1920s in Egypt. And it concerns, of course, in, in a particular and traumatic way, the, the, the main losers in Lausanne, such as the Armenians, Kurds and Rum, but also a few truly liberal uh, Turks. So as for Turkey, it is clear from the Nutuk and the high number of Kemalist references to Lausanne, all very positive, that the Lausanne Treaty represented a triumph for Kemalist Turkey. Lausanne was the international recognition of Turkish national sovereignty throughout Anatolia and the recognition as a fully independent state. So that is absolutely clear. It has only become in Turkey uh, questions with uh, a new uh, character of government uh, since the end of uh, 2002, the, the victory of the AKP uh, in the elections then. But already 100 years ago, Islamists, conservative Muslims and pan-Turkists were much, much less enthusiastic about the Lausanne Treaty than were uh, the Kemalists, because, of course, of the loss of the empire, of the loss of the Sultanate just before uh, the conference, and because of the conference, because they wanted to avoid that the second, another delegation from the Istanbul government would also go to Lausanne. Thus, it was because of Lausanne that the Sultanate was then abolished. And immediate or in the aftermath, immediate aftermath of the Lausanne Conference, the Caliphate was also abolished. So uh, we have now, uh, but yeah, we have, we have now in Turkey a, 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 a quite different uh, a current with regard uh, to the to the legacy of the Lausanne Conference, and we can say that after mid the 20th century, these more critical and especially Islamist voices started uh, to be heard because of a more liberal multi-party system. Then, after mid 20th century in Turkey. Uh, and these, uh, the authors then most often referred to the writings of Rezanur. He has, uh, besides what I already mentioned, he, he wrote in exile because he had finally by after mid 20th century to go into exile, fearing that otherwise he would uh, also uh, would also experience a fate like other dissenters. He had wanted to maintain the caliphate among other uh, points he dissented with uh, with uh, the Kemalists and and especially he resented also the 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 the, 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 the single uh, man rule of uh, Mustafa Kemal. So these uh, authors, these revisionist authors, as we can call them, so that, that they wanted secretly or openly a revision of the of the of the Lausanne Treaty. They very often refer to the writings of Rosanur, who had in, 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 in four volumes of his memoirs, so one volume is, is entirely uh, on the Lausanne Conference. An important source, but a source uh, one has to, to use uh, with uh, much uh, 
prudence because uh, yeah it's it's a memoirs and and thus uh, not uh, reliable in in many respects with uh, erdogan at the akp and uh, far-right MHP in power now since a few years, for a few years. Lausanne revisionism in uh, Turkey has come to the fore on the highest state level. So that's in a way sensational if we compare to to, 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 to 80 years or even even 90 years, one can say, because in the 2000 years, uh, there was no, not yet uh, such a clear um, re revisionism visible as it is now. Uh, uh, this is a very hot topic, of course. Rolozan revisionism uh, fools politics of the expansion. Uh, starting in the mid-2010s in northern Iraq with new uh, military bases, also uh, in, in other countries, new mili Turkish military bases, with the invasion in northern Syria, with these uh, quite proactive uh, uh, war policies in the South Caucasus uh, via Azerbaijan, and of course, also all these conflicts in the Eastern Mediterranean, Mediterranean uh, going even to threaten uh, uh, Greece uh, with war, as, as was exactly the, the case uh, uh, a year ago. You, you might uh, remember this. So the legacy of Lausanne is very present in different ways and never, let's say, so hot as it is now with the revisionist mind in Ankara. Given Lausanne, in your view, is about democracy dying and uh, ultranationalism, I was fascinated by a section towards the end of the book. Can you tell us more about the idea of uh, overcoming Lausanne? Yeah, it's uh, it will need a new book in a way, and and and, and I really uh, think of uh, of a new book. Uh, on democracy, even if uh, Turkey and uh, later the Empire will all, only be one of uh, 10 chapters or so. But the short answer is the follow, following one. The only way to overcome Lausanne is coming back forward to democracy. I say back forward because there were very important, precious, serious uh, experiences, voices, efforts toward more uh, democracy already in the late Ottoman Empire and even some efforts then also from time to time and unfortunately always uh, without um, an, an ultimate success in the Republic of Turkey. So back forward to democracy, but of course not in the sense of Schmidt or the Kemalists or the Islamists or the Young Turks who all failed the challenge of democracy during the last 120 years. So they all claimed this notion of democracy. It's, it's quite surprising how this is one of the only nations who always survives as a, as a positive nation in modern history and for very good reasons, for very good reasons. But one has to fathom its real meaning. And real democracy is about, is about a polity based on a democratic social contract with full 
human rights, and which gives as a raison d'être uh, uh, really a powerful basis for a thriving society. Uh, it's my conviction. And this includes an understanding of history that prefers truth to myths and pragmatism to heroism and martyr cult, something that also in Turkey has very much increased, was always, always there, but has very much increased during the last 10 years. Unfortunately, uh, the democratic perspective is not for tomorrow in Turkey and, and also Turkey's, Turkey's Muslim neighborhood. I nevertheless believe that the potential is there. This was Hans Lukas Kieser, author of When Democracy Died, The Middle East Enduring Peace of Lausanne, published by Cambridge University Press in 2023. Lucas, thank you so much. Thank you, Roberto. Thank you for this occasion, for having me.